Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series supporting the preventive health needs of duly eligible women with disability. This podcast was recorded as part of a live event held on May 12, 2021. In this podcast, Dr. John Harris, Director at UPMC McGee Women's Hospital Center for Women with Disabilities, discusses health and accessibility considerations for women with disability. Good afternoon. My name is John Harris, and I am the director of the UPMC McGee Women's Hospital Center for Women with Disabilities. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that clinic, about what we offer, and about those experiences that will be generalizable to many different populations and settings. You know, first I want to tell you about our, our center. It's been in existence for the last 20 years, and we're very proud of that history of access for our patients. It was started by Dr. Sandra Wellner who was a physician who developed a mobility disability as an adult and saw from both sides both the challenges of providing medical care as well as the challenges that the healthcare system had in being able to receive the healthcare because she needed to receive it herself. She was um, instrumental in starting our clinic here in Pittsburgh 20 years ago. Sadly, she died right after it was opened in a house fire, which is a known occupational hazard for people with mobility disabilities. It's been carried on by other providers, including Dr. Corey, who I took over for. And currently, the team is made up of myself, um, Julie McKechnie, who's a nurse midwife. So we have both physicians as well as allied practice providers, as well as Dr. Peter Bulova, who's an internal medicine physician who comes and sees our patients cooperatively. And then we have an a experienced and enthusiastic nurse coordinator that really provides um, some care management for these patients because they do have complicated situations frequently that need a lot of communication. So just to tell you a little bit about our clinic, these sort of clinics that specialize in these services are unusual and ours is one of the larger ones, but it won't, it won't seem large under the descriptions of a kind of normal general OBGYN clinic. So we see about 400 or more women each year. We see mostly women with cognitive or mobility disabilities. We see a few people with sensory disabilities, but we are, most of our focus is on intellectual and physical disabilities. And about 61% of the women that we serve are duly eligible that makes sense both in terms of the high rate of disability as well as that uh, many of our patients are independent or may no longer have other family members that are able to provide care. The services that we generally offer are going to be preventive, well-woman care. We also provide problem visits for acute and chronic conditions related to reproductive health and GYN care, and we provide medical and surgical consultations related to OBGYN needs. I want to start with thinking about how to improve accessibility for patients that are going to any clinic. This does not need to be a specialized clinic, but it really should be true of all clinics that they're receiving women's health care services. First, the location itself needs to be accessible. So what does that mean? Uh, there need to be handicapped parking spaces that are available and reasonable to access. Sometimes these spaces are in positions that are actually surprisingly inaccessible. And so it's one of those things where if we can think about that as, as a healthcare system or as healthcare providers, that that's vital to think about how to optimize those. We want to make sure that there are um, wheelchair accessible van drop-offs. Many of our patients do use publicly accessible accessibility van services. And so uh, the drop-off there is important. You know, one of the things that we're sensitive to for our duly eligible population is the cost of receiving care. So that would be the last thing that we want to be of concern. So we're here in a city setting where the parking would be relatively expensive, even inside the hospital building where I'm at. And so we provide a voucher so that we can make the parking completely free for our patients, which is one of the few clinics that offers that. You know, in large buildings and hospitals, 
frequently people come with caregivers. They may not be familiar with the hospital and mobility and getting places can be more complex. And so making sure that people don't get lost or turned in the wrong direction is important. So our front desk knows exactly where our clinic is and they try to help our patients whenever they realize where they're going. Next, you want to think about the clinic itself. And so we've established that it needs to be accessible to get to that clinic. But when people get to the clinic, what does it mean to provide the best possible accessibility? First is that routinely the front desk, the waiting area, may not have a desk that's low enough so that people who use wheelchairs for mobility are are able to see the front desk staff face-to-face. And it's important to provide that kind of accessibility when I'm making sure there's waiting space accessible for people with wheelchairs and not just filled with, with existing chairs. And we have the ability to have a rather large waiting area that provides space for people with intellectual disability that may do a little bit better if they have a little bit more space be allowed to move around and the caregivers can feel a little less self-conscious if people are a little bit more vocal or a little you have just different behaviors than other people. So we've now moved into the clinic room. So this is one of the most frequently concerning areas for people with physical and intellectual disabilities because a lot of clinics do not have the services necessary. First is that is there a wheelchair accessible scale? This is a service that we offer that as Dr. Mitra mentioned is something that's very unusual but to have a scale, you can weigh a wheelchair with a person in it and with a, without so that you can get that person's weight is incredibly helpful. It's helpful for anyone at any time, and it's very important for people with mobility disabilities because changes in weight can change center of gravity, they can change accessibility, they can change independence, and we want to do our best to improve uh, and maintain independence as much as possible. Is there space in the room for a wheelchair or a stretcher? And that be able to transfer to an exam table. Is the exam table... Uh, lower, um, low enough that a transfer is possible from a wheelchair. For people that need more lifting assistance, we also want to make sure that our staff is safe. And so the ability to have a Hoyer lift, which would lift a patient out who is a full assist lift, someone that would take two or more people to move, helps prevent workplace injuries and keeps our patients safe. And you want to make sure people are trained to use those Hoyer lifts when they're necessary. For GYN exams, they can be challenging for people that do not have independent control of their lower extremities. And so using what we would consider surgical-style leg rests that offer full support is something that we're able to offer within our specialized clinic and would be unusual in other settings, but really vital to be able to provide personalized support. And are there tools available to help make our um, patients with intellectual disability and autism feel comfortable? So those are things like weighted blankets, sensory and activity toys, communication assistive devices are all going to be of importance. And then finally, making sure that the room and the bathroom is large enough to allow for both accessibility and to be able to do these. So then we want to think about people that are providing this care. So we want our staff to be prepared and trained. This is an important area, and this is something that every clinic, regardless of whether they have all the equipment, can do a great job in. So first, it's important before these patients come, if at all possible, to know what are the transfer requirements and equipment needed. This is a way that for places that do not have this constantly accessible, that you can help gather this equipment and make it possible. We want to make sure that scheduling and other appointments are efficiently scheduled. So our patients often have mammograms for after their visits so that they only come for their women's health visits once a year and it's efficient. Are we staffed adequately for this care? You know, one of the challenges of providing this care is that we do have different staffing requirements than normal uh, women's health clinics. And so we routinely have two staff members in a single room for an exam, which helps us be able to transfer and take great care of people. And that's something that's been set up in this clinic that is not true everywhere, but is definitely necessary at times. 
It's great to have staff that are comfortable with people with intellectual disability and autism spectrum disorder so that they can make people feel comfortable and make sure that people have adequate training, especially with things like the Hoyer lift. And I think it's important that our staff understand the, the history and the science behind what is known about the disparities for people with disabilities so we can do our best to provide good care that avoids stigma and bias. And so we definitely do orientation and frequent staff education to stay up to date with the most recent research. In terms of communication with patients, and this would be true at any level, including care managers and things like that, that it's important to get to know the specific needs and past experiences of each person. So people are not a, a single diagnosis, but everyone has a, a different experience, and it's important to ask basic questions. I think humbly ask open-ended questions that you don't assume to know what each person's needs and experiences are. Making sure that you're ready for those things involves just asking those questions and allowing plenty of time for that discussion to take place and for the right amount of communication to, to go ahead. So now I'm going to talk for a few minutes about specific health considerations for different common conditions that may cause a disability and how to best care for them in the setting of women's health. I'm going to start with spinal cord injuries. Spinal cord injuries are an area where I would say that the, the basic understanding of the complications of spinal cord injuries may be um, poorly understood by a, a general women's health provider audience, and so training for these patients is, is important to do the best we can. So there's a condition called autonomic dysreflexia, which is vital to understand for pelvic exams and evaluation of reproductive health care. Autonomic dysreflexia is a condition that happens after a spinal cord injury where there's a potential for a medical emergency whenever there's a neurologic stimulus below the level of the injury. So that stimulus may be something like a pelvic exam. It can also be something like a full bladder or a pressure injury, a variety of different things that could cause pain at that level for other people, causes a dysregulated um, neurologic response that leads to high blood pressure, a low heart rate, and at worst can cause stroke, seizure, or cardiac arrest. Pelvic exams can trigger this, and so it's important to ask patients whether they've experienced it in the past. Once again, patients are experts in their own body and will frequently be able to help educate staff and providers if they ask, and I think if they have the, the providers have the right attitude towards realizing that patients are just an expert in their own. The treatment would include for calling for help, often calling, sending someone to the emergency room, removal of that stimulus, whatever maybe caused it, placing the person in a sitting position and removing tight-fitting garments and monitoring blood pressure and heart rate. Things to think about for women with cerebral palsy is just to remind our audience that that's a group of conditions that involves a permanent non-progressive muscular spasms and spasticity. Cerebral palsy is maybe associated with intellectual disability, but is not synonymous with it, and it's frequently it's confusing to people, and sometimes people will use the term cerebral palsy as a synonym for intellectual disability, and that it would be unfortunate and incorrect because there are many people with cerebral palsy that do not have an intellectual disability. However, they will frequently need personalized positioning for physical exams due to the limited body movements due to spasticity and the lower extremities, and this makes public exams very challenging. We do our best to provide that personalized positioning for those patients. Finally, in the case of all these conditions, there is limited evidence-based guidelines for common GYN concerns, including contraception and managing periods, which can be very important in this population. And in general, people that are non-ambulatory, we recommend generally avoiding estrogen-containing medications due to the risk of embolism and DVT. Now, considering thinking about health considerations for women with Down syndrome, a very large population of women that should receive great health care, it's good to understand the basic physiology for different conditions. So women with Down syndrome will have normal periods, a normal start to their periods, but tend to go into menopause at a much earlier age. 
Because of that, they have risks for bone density issues as they age. And it's important to have adequate education to provide autonomy and personal knowledge of people's bodies. And so we do sexual education and appropriately um, autonomy explanation for patients so that they have the proper understanding for their cognitive level. We provide routine screening for sexually transmitted infections, whether the patient or family reports any sexual activity. Unfortunately, sexual abuse is more common in, in women with disabilities. And there's an increased risk of infertility, but unlike men where infertility is essentially universal, there is a possibility of pregnancy, and so offering contraception is important for women that may be sexually active. Next considerations for women with autism spectrum disorder and intellectual disability, two separate conditions but may have some similar issues in terms of making people feel comfortable within a very uncomfortable exam situation. So it may be possible because people do not understand the nature and the, the reasoning behind these exams that people are more likely to, uh, to be very guarded about these exams and very cautious. And so we do our best to make people feel comfortable, give people time to get to know us, and ideally have consistent providers so that people know who we are and that we're not strangers to them. But common medical issues in this population may be seizure disorders or the presence of mood changes around periods. And both of those things we can help manage and understand the interaction between, say, seizure disorders and periods. Unfortunately, there's a high risk of sexual assault and abuse in this population. So once again, screening for that and screening for infections is important. Understanding the metapausal transition and how that can change behaviors and how people feel, especially if they can't report it themselves, but maybe caregivers that notice the differences is important. And managing periods and contraception that are safe and offer few interactions with medications and other conditions is, is vital. Now just to talk about general person-centered skills for providing care and for interacting with patients in the women's health sphere. First, when completing a complete OBGYN history, it's important to cover many of the same areas that we would cover with anyone. So we cover the reproductive history and plans, sexual activity and dysfunction, expectations and concerns about pregnancy, past pelvic exam history and experience, and the effects of pelvic discomfort on spasticity, history of autonomic dysreflexia among women with injury. When performing an exam, clinicians should offer assistance when necessary for transferring to an exam table. Certainly many people are independent, but we want to make sure that people feel safe and both on transfer and then sitting on the exam table. We do not perform exams in the wheelchair. That is certainly seen as an expedient for in certain options, but in general, we try to provide people the exact same care and the same access to the right exams as everyone else. We go through the extra process of transferring people, even when a, a relatively minor exam is necessary, like an abdominal exam. And then, as I said before, the use of specialized leg supports is really vital for people that may need assistance with supporting their legs during a gynecologic exam. Additionally, when performing an exam, you want to notice when positioning, watch out for causing balance issues, causing issues with spasticity, causing issues with skin pressure, especially over the back of the hips where um, we can have pressure injuries and pressure ulcers, the presence of contractures that may make it so that the classic pelvic exam position is difficult to get to, and so we can use alternative positions that's more comfortable for people. To manage anxiety, uh, which would be present for many people when receiving women's health care, but especially for people that may not understand this well in the presence of an intellectual disability, we want to explain the, the process of that at an appropriate level and seek to gain trust. And so I always encourage other providers to, to really be especially humble in this population Talk to people about what they understand and what they don't understand about the patient's condition, to take extra time to explain themselves, to encourage patients to give a lot of feedback so that they can maintain a sense of control throughout the visit. 
always this could be a traumatizing visit for anyone, and be more so for people that have either less autonomy or may have less ability to control say, all their appendages um, on their own. Anxiety medications may be helpful in certain circumstances for people with intellectual disability, though I would tell you that the quality of the team is much more important to make people comfortable than medications. And then when a pelvic exam is indicated, it's important to communicate actions clearly, to conduct an especially gentle exam, to make people as comfortable as possible, including using medications like topical lidocaine for people with a spinal cord injury, emptying the bladder can be helpful, finding a position that's comfortable and using the proper instrument and having access to many different size instruments for pelvic exams is important. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.